0: Job chapter 12, God's servant and God's man decides to respond to what was the withering indictment and criticism of Zophar, the Naamathite. Of all of Job's three so-called friends, Zophar was the worst. He's the first to accuse Job of wickedness. He's the most dogmatic. He's the most impetuous, just flies off at his mouth. And for Job, he's the most harmful, destructive to his heart. Unlike Bildad and Eliphaz, Zophar only speaks to Job twice, here in chapter 11 before our text and later in chapter 20. And of course, he lectures Job, as you all know, he lectures him on the plight of the wicked and that Job's problems and his heartaches and suffering are all the results of Job's own sin and the inevitable consequences of divine punishment. And remember, folks, remember that at this moment, Job is sick. This man is suffering, and he's in deep sorrow of losing his family. So what does he find when his friend comes to comfort him? Here's a taste of it, okay? Look at chapter 11 across the page in verse 2. Should not the multitude of words be answered? This is Zophar speaking, of course. And should a man full of talk be justified? Should thy lies... Now this is right after Job's explaining himself. Should thy lies make men hold their peace when thou mockest? Shall no man make thee ashamed? For thou hast said, My doctrine is pure, and I am clean in thine eyes. But, all oh, that God would speak and open his lips against thee, and that he would show thee the secrets of wisdom, that they are double to that which is... Know therefore that God exacteth of thee less than thine iniquity deserveth. He says, stop your whining, Job. Because the truth is, Job, you deserve worse than what you have. Worse? He's lost everything. He's in agony. He's in sorrow. He's suffering. But this is Zophar's perspective. And it was his perspective for one great overriding reason. There was one great flaw in Zophar that Job addresses in his answer, as you'll see, and this is the mistake and the folly of comparing yourself with other people. Look at chapter 12 again in verse 1, and Job answered. Job answered Zophar, and he said, No doubt, but ye are the people, and wisdom shall die with you. In other words, this is irony and lots of sarcasm. Job says, Oh, okay, so far, no doubt you're the only people with wisdom, and when you die, wisdom dies with you. You the man, Job says, and just you, right? And then he says this in verse 3 But I have understanding as well as you, and I am not inferior to you. Yea, who knoweth not such things as these? Who doesn't know what you're saying? Look at chapter 13 across the page, and notice again. Similar words there in verse 2. What ye know, the same do I know also. I am not inferior unto you. What's Job doing? Well, human nature, he's comparing. He's doing what Zophar did, sort of in reverse. And of course, it's a reminder of, frankly, dozens and dozens of New Testament injunctions against this folly, against the sin and the foolishness of comparison. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says this, and you'll see it on your screen. He says, For we dare not. We dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. You know how many times you hear the word selves? It's six times. We dare not. We don't dare compare ourselves to other people and then and therefore draw conclusions about us or them. No. And the reason, Paul says, is that it is foolish. They are not wise who do so. Let me remind you, beloved, that this is a satanic attack against Job. And the very one who's leading this attack, Lucifer, fell from his position precisely because he embraced comparison. Lucifer looked at Michael and Gabriel, and he concluded that he was better, way better than they. Zophar looked at Job's misfortune, his suffering, his pain, his heartache, and he concluded the exact same thing in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and this should be on your screen as well. Paul says this, "...for we commend not ourselves again to you, but give you occasion to glory in our behalf." They may have someone to answer them which glory in appearance and not in heart. Folks, that is Zophar. So Glorying in appearance and not in heart. Comparing themselves among themselves, the Bible says is foolish. And you know, there's not much in the Bible. Honestly, there's not much in the New Testament that is any more condemned than living your life to Christians, at least, on this roller coaster of human appraisal. A few times in in life we've had to use insurance appraisers, property appraisers. I'm sure, Brother Dibble, you've gone through that a few times this last couple years. And appraisers, of course, are professionals. Come along and they decide what value is assigned to property, either real or personal property. And frankly, it's always kind of impressed me how accurate and how precise appraisers are. It's really just math statistical theory. They have the rule, the esta, estimator, and then they have the quantity, which is the demand and then of course the result, which is the estimate, is the one that you get or your client gets, and it's all pretty scientific, although try telling that to the owners of that which they, they have and are having estimated. I, 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 you know, this man thinks that his old beat-down shack outside of town is worth, you know, a couple million dollars, and he comes along I remember the very first time I traded in a car, went to an auto dealership up in Port Huron, Michigan, and I remember how personally I took it. It was a little blue Plymouth Velary my parents sold to me when I graduated from college, and it meant a lot because uh, we had it here in Florida before I went to college, and it was old, but it was sentimental, and so when the used car guy came out to take it for a drive, it was like my baby, And, and he did all his point checks, and I was actually nervous Because, you know, to me, he should be impressed. (laughs) He should feel what I feel and just write me a check for $100,000. But unfortunately, he said that he'd give me a trade-in of $625, and I was so offended. I'm like, don't you know what this car is? Now, it turns out he was right, of course, on paper, but he was wrong in my heart, and he hurt my heart, for real. But when I drove away with that brand-new red Honda Civic, my heart felt better, with the trade in until about six years later I tried to sell that car and I went through the same thing again. It still had Rick's tooth mark. He was standing up on the front seat. No seat belt. All right? He was standing up. I had to slam my brakes and boom! A little three-year-old I think. Remember that Rick? Tooth mark was in that car for I don't know how many years. And so I thought, you know, this car is worth a lot. <laughs> it's human nature to take offense of how others appraise our property. Okay. Imagine then if you had an appraiser come by tomorrow. You know, he's got his clipboard and he's got his ruler and his his calculator and his digital camera. But instead of appraising your house or instead of appraising your car, he's there to appraise you. I mean, literally, he's going to look you over. He's going to take photos of your physique. He's going to put a flashlight down your mouth. And then he's going to ask you to sing and run and cook and do math and swim and, and pray and throw a football and, and quote history and change a baby's diaper and solve a Rubik's Cube. I mean, he's got all this litany of things he's going to do to see how awesome you are. And then you have to step on the scale. <laughs> he's going to weigh you. He's going to praise your worth. And by the way, when he gives the appraisal, he's going to put it in the paper according to how you rank with everybody else he's appraised in Palm Beach County. You think that might be offensive? Yeah, very. When I was young and, and a much dumber preacher than I am now, I'm still dumb, but I was much dumber then, and people would ask me, you know, I was a youth director, youth director. I was in my young 20s, and people would ask me things like, Brother Jim, could you tell me what you see as my biggest flaw, my weak point? What is it in my character that I'm lacking? And I was younger and dumber, and I'd just say, Well, um, for you, it's lazy. You're really lazy. <laughs> you asked. That went over great. I've really since learned that when someone asks you what, what I think or what you think is a greatest weakness or flaw, what they really mean is, Tell me my strengths. Tell me all of my virtues and how do I rate and rank against other people in the church and other people that you might know? It's a terrible idea. Because comparing themselves among themselves, they are not wise. Which brings us back to this book of Job. In some ways, the book of Job is one of God's case studies in the foolishness of comparison. I want us to think about five things tonight. The first one, number one, there is the person that you think you are. Here's what's wrong with all comparison in the Bible. You're a person, and let's compare. First of all, there's the person sitting in your pew right now, and this is the one who you think that you are. If you look at Zophar's second, his second address to Job, look at it in chapter 20, would you? I think you can see right away the kind of man that Zophar thinks that he is. And this is the problem. Job 20, verse 1, then answered Zophar the Naamathite and said, Therefore, I, I want to do it with an accent, like, therefore do my thoughts, or something. Therefore do my thoughts cause me to answer, and for this I make haste. I'm not just going to tell you, my thoughts cause me, I've got to say it, and fast. I have heard the check of my reproach, and the spirit of my understanding causeth me to the spirit of my understanding causeth me to answer. In other words, this guy's full of himself. He not only loves to hear himself talk, he loves to hear himself think. That text we noted earlier in 2 Corinthians, do you know why Paul had to spend so much time teaching about the dangers of comparison? Well, folks, it's because the Corinthians, the carnal Corinthians, had a problem. And that problem was, quote, commendation. It's a word you find all throughout both 1st and 2nd Corinthians. The word commend means to praise. It means to approve. It means to honor. And no, the problem wasn't that they were commending God. Matter of fact, the problem wasn't that they were commending Paul. They did the opposite of commending Paul. The problem isn't that they were commending others. They were commending, Paul said, they were commending themselves. And, of course, that's an attitude that fosters pride. The same pride, the Bible says, that always goes before a fall. However, what these same believers were doing with their self-commendation was even worse. Because the way that they commended themselves was through comparison. It's one thing if I, if I say stand up here and say, Hey, by the way, I'm your pastor. I'm awesome. I'm fantastic. I'm a spiritual giant. I mean, that's a delusion that leads to pride. It's a cancer. But it would be even worse for me to stand up here and say, by way of comparison, hey, compared to that guy, I'm awesome. Compared to that person right there and call out the name, I'm fantastic. Compared to Brother Remo, I'm a spiritual giant. (laughs) Reminds me yesterday, Andy said, Dad, you got Wednesday night study, funeral message, Sunday school lesson, Sunday night, Sunday morning. You've got to be tired. Pastor, you get five messages this week? Where do you get all the messages? It's really simple. Chat GPT. Amen? AI. <laughs> <laughs> but, here's the thing. It's so accurate. Every time I ask it, I said, give me a sermon for Brother Remo. It's always a salvation sermon, so it's very, <laughs> very accurate. <laughs> but, you know, I'm up here, compared to Brother Remo, I'm this or somebody, and so forth. When you do that, When you compare yourself with someone else for whatever reason, it immediately fosters pride and discouragement. There's only one of two things that can come. If you compare yourself with another believer, you're either going to be looking too much up to them or too down to them, and it's either going to be pride or discouragement, and definitely division and definitely deception. That is the Zophar disease. When the Pharisees and Luke chapter 18 11 said this, I thank thee. I thank thee that I am not as other men are, even as this publican. When they did that, that Pharisee wasn't trying to help that publican. He didn't care about that publican. Well, Pastor, I just think it's good to, you know, look deep inside and, and, and see who you are and love, just have to love who you are. Okay, that's, that's a new age. But this is the Bible. This is eternal truth. Jeremiah 17, 9. It says, the heart, this is deep inside, right? Deep you your inside. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? In other words, the person who sits in your seat right now shouldn't trust the person who's sitting in your seat right now. You don't have the ability, your heart is deceitful to look at yourself and say, well, I'm awesome. I've arrived. The Bible does not have a lot of good things to say about the person who's described in Scripture as, quote, a fool. You know that. As a matter of fact, the the word fool may well be the single strongest pejorative in all of the Bible as it applies to man. There are seven things in Proverbs. We once taught this on a Wednesday night many, many years ago. We went through Proverbs and there are literally seven things about a fool that are indicative about a person's hopelessness if that word is attributed to them. They're like well nigh hopeless if you have that title. However, there's one person in Proverbs in the Bible who actually has less hope than the fool. Proverbs 26.12 says, seest thou a man wise In his own conceit, there is more hope of a fool than of him. So if you want to be worse off than a fool with your life, go around commending yourself. And even worse, commend yourself because you've compared yourself with others who you think are inferior The second thing, number one, the person you think you are. Number two, the comparison, the person others think you are. And this is not a good idea either. Precisely because in that earlier text it says that people look on the outward appearance. Not the heart. Zophar was a man. He looks at Job. He sees his circumstances, he sees his heartache and what he's done, and based upon all that he sees on the outside, he makes a judgment that's 180 degrees wrong. What do you think that Christians in the first century thought about Paul? And I'm talking about professing believers who came to Christ because of Paul's ministry and mission. What do you think they thought about him? How did they appraise? You know, they appraisal. This amazing servant of God. It wasn't good. If you read in the New Testament, you'll find that they basically said, his letters are weighty. Well, that's something, Pastor, right? His letters are weighty. Yeah, but he didn't write them. The Holy Spirit gave them to him. They're not his. He was just the pen. So what does that leave Paul with? Go through all the description in the New Testament. Weak contemptible, but his letters are weak, contemptible. That's like saying, Pastor Blaylock, weak, terrible voice, no hair, awful presence, but the orchestra's awesome. Well, la-di-da, that doesn't help me. Now, wait a minute, what if Paul listened to them? Meaning, beloved, what if Paul elevated their appraisal their personal appraisal of him, of other people towards him. Obviously, he knew it, they thought. He wrote it down through the Holy Spirit. What if Job did? What if Job listened to the counsel of his Zophar and his so-called friends and said, yeah, I really, I, I'm wicked. This is my fault. I did this. When people said that Paul's speech was contemptible, Do you know why they said that? Go back to the context. They were comparing his speech and his presence with the oratory of Apollos. They were doing exactly what the Bible forbids. So that again, folks, hear this. Comparison is never, ever, ever wise. It's always foolish. Foolish. And as tempting as it was for Paul to fall victim to their appraisal, we can thank God. All of us here can thank God that he rose above it. You know, there's a popular meme that's been around for years and years. And it uses this very familiar um, black chart. and it's got basically, it's a frame with six pictures in the top and, and uh, uh, six on the bottom, right? Sometimes just three in the top and three in the bottom. And usually at the top, there's an occupation that's listed there, like teacher, engineer, lawyer. And, of course, if it's a lawyer, the first frame says what my mom thinks I do. Right? And there's a picture there. And it's a picture of Perry Mason, you know, the great TV lawyer. And the second one says what my friends think I do. And there's a picture of a man eating cash out of a bowl. (laughs) You know, he's a lawyer. And then what my boss thinks that I do. And there's a guy sleeping in his office. What society thinks that I do, and the guy is the Joker from Batman. And then it says what I think I do, and there's Abraham Lincoln. And so it goes, and what's interesting, I think, about all of these memes is that, you know, whatever the profession, whether it's lawyer, nurse, engineer, mechanic, teacher, a couple of you have sent me one that has pastor, what my friends, what my church thinks I do, what the deacons think I do, it's very insulting. But on those memes, invariably, the worst evaluation is always what my friends think I do and what society thinks I do. Make a chart for Job. Make a chart for Paul. Put at the top, apostle. What society thinks I do. What the Corinthians think I do. I can tell you right now, it won't be good. Nor, nor will it be true. Job, what my friends think I do. All three of them, dead wrong. I'll put it this way. After three and a half years of public ministry, healing, teaching, as Peter said, of going about doing good, what was the appraisal of Christ by the Sanhedrin? What was their appraisal, the appraisal of the people in Judea, the majority of them? It was not good. It was not true. And it was not worth listening to. Which brings us to the third thing. There is the person you think you are. There is the person others think you are. Number three, there is the person God says you are. Hey, Zophar, we know what you think. Let's see what God thinks about Job. Let's go back, in your mind, let's go back to the beginning of this book in chapter one. Let's see what God thinks about Job. In other words, what I would look. Forget about the ruler and the chart and the measurement that the world uses to evaluate you. Your boss, your neighbors, whatever. Forget about that. It doesn't matter. And nor does your own commendation. As the text says, For not he that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. And by the way, inasmuch as the Bible does commend, condemn the practice of comparing ourselves with others understand folks it doesn't condemn the practice of simply comparing just so long as the one you're comparing yourself to is christ alone just so long as the one you're comparing yourself to is jesus himself you see when the book of james says that the bible is a mirror that shows you your true self what it means is in scripture you see yourself by the example of christ Not some other man and not some other woman. And guess what? Therefore, there's no room for pride. There's no room for arrogance. There's also no room for complacency. I want to be more like Christ. And there's no room for discouragement either. There's only room really for one thing when you do that. And that is he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. In other words, God knows who I am. God knows what I am not. He knows everything about me, and yet He still loves me. And if anybody thinks that there's virtue and value in us, including um, our glory, so to, so to speak, the only glory, all the glory, belongs only to God alone. As we've preached before many times, the only good thing about us, really, is Jesus Christ. Oh, that's a true, Pastor. I got this or that or this other thing and I had those things before I ever got saved. Okay. Genesis 1.27 God created man in his own image and the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them so that any resemblance even resemblance to godliness that you have or will ever have it begins with the creator. As the Scottish 16th century Psalter wrote all that I am I owe to thee, thy wisdom, Lord, hath fashioned me. I give my maker thankful praise, whose wondrous works my soul amaze. And that brings us to the fourth thing. Who you think you are, who others think you are, who God says you are. Number four, there's also the person God says you could be. Chapter 42 of Job, the very end, I'm going to read it to you. You can turn there quickly. Verse 12 says, the Lord, so the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. You know, folks, this man Job was as low as low could go. He lost it all in every way. He was on the proverbial bottom. Nobody thought that he was favored by God, but he was. And you know, as we preach this morning, beloved, God sees his people through all the way. He sees his people through all the way to the very end. And the end for all of us is glory. And that introduces the fifth and last thing. The fifth thing in the text, and that's the person that you're going to be. 1 John 3.2. This is why you don't need to compare. It doesn't matter. 1 John 3.2 says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. I mean, that would be good enough right there. If we just stopped right there didn't read the rest of the verse, now are we the sons and daughters of God. Glory. Hallelujah. Amen. We're in his family. He's our father. But the Holy Spirit's not finished. He says, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. Praise God for that person in your seat. You for that person who shall be. You know I always keep a copy of my notes written copy up here I have, I'm using my iPad now and people ask me why and I tell them it's in case the rapture comes during the message and I can have Brother Kevin, Brother Dibble finish the sermon <laughs> There is going to be a rapture Jesus is coming again and this promise that we're going to be like him is real. The person you're going to be is promised. Beloved, tonight, in a very practical way, as your friend and your brother and your pastor, I just admonish you, do not succumb to this. Do not succumb to the Zophar disease. There is no comparison except comparison to Christ. Christ. They, comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. I always think, anytime I I think or preach or teach or just read about this whole business of comparing, I have to think about the very last words in the Gospel of John. And you know, the Lord Jesus, he's been ministering to Peter. He sits him by a fire of coals because he denied him in a fire of coals, and now he's going to help reinstate him by a fire of coal so that the memory of that fire and that smoke is not negative the rest of his life. Same thing with the rooster crowing in the morning. So in the morning, he's there and there's a fire and he fixes him food and he just speaks to Peter. No one else. Just Peter. The seven of them are there. And he says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I do. Feed my lambs. Oh, that's the commission. Peter went back to fishing. No, feed my lambs. I know you denied me three times. Feed my lambs. Do you love me? Yes. Feed my lambs. Do you love me? Yes, feed my my sheep. After that, he says, and something else, Peter. You're ashamed and you're broken because you denied me. I'm telling you now that one day you will give your life for me. Someone else is going to lead you about. Someone's going to take you by the hand. You'll be bound and you will give your life for me. What a glory, right? What an amazing moment of just reestablishing for Peter all that he thought he had lost. But then... After the Lord tells him that, what does Peter say? He points to John. What about him? <laughs> but what about him, Lord? What's he going to do? Now, we know what happens to John. John lives on in his 90s. And what did Jesus say to Peter? He says, what is that to thee? And then he says "And." Strong language, follow thou me. What is it to you, if I will that he tarries until I come again, if that were happened to be my will, that he lived for 2,050 years, what is it to you? You follow me. In other words, Jesus is saying, Peter, there's no comparison, no comparing. You follow me. Our heads are bowed, please, and our eyes are closed for just a moment. It should be enough, I think, beloved, for all of us in this room to not have to worry about what others think about us, to not have to manufacture what we think about us and feel good about ourselves by the world's metric. It should be good enough for all of us in this room to just embrace and relish the truth of what God thinks about us. And man, it's glorious if you read the word. And then what God says says, that we're going to be. Pastor, I'm, I'm saved tonight. I'm a child of God and I know that I'm born again, but, but there's something about the text or the message tonight that God used to speak to my heart about something. I'm going to say this again. When you compare, there's only two possible results it's either pride, you're going to say, oh, I'm better, or it's discouragement, you're going to say, I'm not so good. Everybody's better. Everybody has it better. Pastor, I'm here tonight, and maybe it's discouraging. I don't know, but I'm here tonight, and I'm a Christian, but I needed the message. Who would say that with uplifted hands through the building, and God bless you, and amen, and amen. Praise the Lord. My prayer and my hope is that you will leave this place tonight, and that we all will, and we will recognize that comparing, contrasting our lives with some other believer is exactly what Peter did with John. Lord, what about him? But Jesus, what about them? Why are they successful? And I'm struggling. Why do I have to have my hands bound and and crucified upside down? While this believer of yours gets to write more books in the Bible and sees the revelation of Jesus Christ and lives to be almost 100. Why, why, why? What is that to thee, God says? You follow me. No comparison. No commending yourselves among yourselves. If you're here tonight and you don't know that you're saved, you're not even sure that you're saved, could we pray for you? I won't come and embarrass you, but I would pray for you. Pastor Blavock, I don't know for sure that I'm, I'm a child of God, but I'd like to know it with heads bowed. Who would say that? Would you lift your hand right where you are? We want to pray for you in a moment. All right. One of the most destructive, corrosive, evil forces in our society right now is social media. And the reason it's corrosive and destructive and evil is because it's number its number one enforcement is, is comparison. Look at them, look at their vacation, look at me, look at their car, look at their baby, look at my baby, look at their life, look at my life, look at their blessings, look at mine. It's all about comparison and it is utterly destructive, and it's forbidden. It's forbidden in the Word of God. Father, I pray we will understand, Lord, the blessing of being who we are in your will. And hear in our hearts and our minds the words, Follow thou me. Follow thou me. I pray God will recognize that who we are in Christ and who we will be for eternity in Christ is more than enough is more than enough for this life. And for these who have asked for prayer, draw them to you, please. In Jesus' precious name, amen.